You're listening to The Upland Rookie, a podcast presented by Upland Brits, B Pro Kennels, Final Rise, and a Nook Shook Professional Dog Food. And on today's episode, I sit down with my buddy and local Coloradan, Corey Arola. We talk dog behavior, training, camera work, photography, and a whole bunch more you are not going to want to miss. Big thanks to our title sponsor, B Pro Kennels. B Pro Kennels is a small business creating ultra high quality and custom dog boxes for the gun dog owner like you and I. No matter how big your string of dogs, B Pro Kennels will make sure you have a box that fits your needs for you and your gun dogs. With an innovative storage design and built-in solar panel and battery bank for quick access to charging accessories like dog collars, lights, fans, you name it. This is a dog box unlike anything you've seen before. Check them out at bprokennels.com. Oh, and they're made right here in the USA. This podcast is also presented to you by Final Rise. All good things start with a solid foundation. At Final Rise, all three of their premium Upland vests are built around the foundational waist belt to provide you all-day comfort and endless customization. With a secure waist belt and thin, high-quality shoulder harness, this is the vest you can load down with birds and walk all day in. Final Rise is creating high-functioning Upland gear that delivers comfort, balance, and a lifetime of memories. Check them out at finalrise.com. And this podcast is sponsored by Trinity Bretons, home of the Epignol Breton, also known as the French Brittany. All Trinity Breton dogs are from champion bloodlines that are field-tested and family-approved. For over 33 years, Trinity Bretons has worked to offer you the best-bred Epignol Breton in the country. Trinity offers puppies, the Trinity Upland Academy with George Hickox, started dogs, stud services, and a whole lot more. Check them out at trinitybertons.com. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Upland Rookie Podcast. I'm your host, Will Larson, and this is episode 72. Man, here we go again. It's fun. It's a uh, Thursday night in my garage, freezing my butt off, um, but it's a good time. I'm uh, excited to be back with you guys. Had a really good conversation uh, with Corey Arola. Um, you'll hear that in just a second. Um, really, really interesting conversation. Um, he specializes and trains dogs with uh, behavior modification. Uh, he's dealing with some of the more aggressive dogs, and um, so really fascinating conversation. Um and as well, a meat of our conversation, you'll hear a lot about photography and uh, talk about some tips of taking better photos in the field. Um, we unpack that a whole bunch more. So really looking forward uh, to you guys listening to this one. Uh, a couple quick things to get to. Uh, first, B Pro Kennels. Uh, you may have saw... Uh, ben posted his uh, giveaway details the other day. Um, you are definitely going to want to go over to B Pro Kennels um, Instagram, or I believe he has it on Facebook as well. Um, he has an incredible giveaway uh, planned. Uh, it's going to be live in the month of February, but uh, some of the prizes up for grabs are going to be a free B Pro Kennels dog box. It's going to be a two hole dog box. Uh, someone's going to walk away with that, as well as the other. Uh, set of prizes, as you say, is a, is a combo pack, uh, two-day fully uh, ex- all, all expenses paid trip to South Dakota on a pheasant hunt with Ben. Um, and here's the best part, a Browning Maxis II uh, Wicked Wing Shotgun in 12 gauge. 
Uh, so that's that's kind of one one half of things. So one half is a two day hunt uh, and a shotgun, and the other one is a free dog box. So Ben's got all the details over on the Instagram post or on Facebook. So make sure you check that out. Um, this is a hefty, hefty giveaway. So, um, make sure you are going to check that out. Um, cause that's, I mean, it's pretty unheard of. Those are some big ticket items. Um, the shotgun alone, the pheasant hunt, the free dog box. I mean, whew, I'm getting excited myself. <laughs> so anyways, super exciting stuff coming up there. Um, I know we got pheasant fest here coming up in a little bit, uh, just a few weeks. Um, I am trying to uh, to make it uh, to Pheasant Fest. I'm working around a couple um, possible conflicts with my schedule, um, but um, it'll, it's probably going to be a last minute decision if I am able to get to, to get to Pheasant Fest. Um, so if I do, I'll make sure to let everyone know. And um, well, I don't know. I don't know who I'm going to let know I'm there. You'll see me there. <laughs> so if I if I make it, um, anyway. So that and then the last thing I was going to mention was uh, someone messaged me this week, and I thought it would make a good little. Uh, I'll try to make it a short little segment. Um, someone was asking about picking how, how to pick a good breeder, uh, how to pick a breeder, and that kind of goes into a little bit of, of picking a puppy. I'm not going to go down that route um, as much, but a breeder, if you're kind of starting from scratch, of saying, hey, okay, I want a dog. Let's even say you already know the breed you want. Let's say you've done your research, your homework on, on the breed you want. Let's say you want a Brittany. Okay, surprise, surprise. Um, I, it, this is some of the things that I, I was thinking through of like, what are some of the steps of, of picking a good breeder if you don't have, say, some great connections already or personal experience with a kennel or someone who's um, doing a good breeding? Uh, some of the things... I, w- I would look for, um, first off, I mean, use, use Instagram, Facebook, people, you know, people you're friends with out there. Someone's going to know someone who has personal experience, who's hunted over, um, the dogs out of a X kennel, whatever kennel that might be. Um, so ask around, get bold, get courageous and ask, Hey, I'm looking for this, you know, a Brittany, um, who has experience with one? What have you seen? Who have you hunted over? What can you tell me about them? What can you, what can you tell me about the people who, who are breeding, um, that's going to get you in a, a good direction because you're going to get some, some real feedback. Um, again, I say real feedback, like again, if this was me, I want someone who has hunted over those dogs out of that kennel and maybe even a couple generations of those dogs, even better, um, to see the consistency of how those dogs are built and bred and what their temperaments are like and what the grandparents and the you know, all those, all those dogs that are coming out of that kennel, um, you're going to get some, at least started in a good direction. Um, and then, I mean, asking a ton of questions, let's say you, you have three really solid recommendations for a, a kennel, um, or someone who's doing the breeding. Um, I mean, you're buying this dog from them. You get to kind of interview them, ask them questions, ask them, about their breeding program, about uh, the pedigrees, about the dog's grandparents, what the dogs are like in the house, what they're like in the field. Um, ask to see some pedigrees. Um, like you get to ask those questions and, and figure out if that's going to be a good fit uh, for you and your hunting style. That's going to be a huge thing as well. Um, if you land on a kennel who is primarily breeding dogs, let's say for uh, you know big uh, open field trial dogs, um, that are, you know, ranging out five, 600 yards and just have this big run. And, you know, that might not be the best, uh, line of dogs for you. And so, you know, if you, but if you're, you know, let's say a, a pheasant hunter and you want a close working, tight working dog, um, then you're going to want 
maybe out of a kennel that is more focused on that and, and do a lot of that kind of hunting. Um, so you get to kind of interview those folks and decide what, what kind of dogs are going to fit your hunting style and then match that up. And again, you can kind of whittle down and narrow down this process of, of what's going to work best for you, your family, your situation, your living situation and, and what you want. And, um, as, as much as you can, I know these days with, with, you know, the internet, you might find someone thousands of miles away. Um, if you can visit, I mean, if they're close by, that's awesome. If they're far and you can make it out, that's great. I mean, pay them a visit, meet the dogs, meet the parents, the grandparents, uh, whatever that might be. All this I'm trying to say is do your due diligence on your research. Um, I think recommendations from friends and family and people you trust, you know, is going to get you in the right general direction. And then you get to ask all the questions and find out if that's going to be a, a good mix um, for what you are looking for. Again, that's going to be so different. I'm not trying to gener- or, uh, make this, oh, you have to do this because what I want in a dog and what I want out of a breeder even, it's going to differ from Joe down the street or, or whoever that might be. So um, anyways, do your homework, <clears throat> have fun with it, take time. Um, you know, Don't be in a rush. <laughs> don't go just visit the puppy and be like, oh, I want that one. Like, Do, do your homework, do your due, due diligence. And um, I can't say this enough, pedigree, pedigree, pedigree. Um, I've just seen some amazing dogs um, that have pedigrees and don't. Again, there's amazing dogs that don't have a, a crazy uh, good pedigree, but um, it's going to up your odds of getting a really good dog. I think, um, back in my, my Jeff Hoskins episode, the two-parter back in, I think episode 38, 39, maybe, or 39 and 40. Um, Jeff talks about that in depth of just, um, you know, it's, a, it's an odds game. You, you don't know a hundred percent guarantee that you're going to get a stellar dog out of every litter or 10 stellar dogs out of every litter. Um, it's an odds game. And I think the, um, the pedigree is going to up your odds, up your chances of getting that, you know, once in a lifetime dog. And I think that's what we all want. Um, a smart dog, a dog that is intelligent, that, um, ranges how you want the dog to range, let, you know, obedience, drive, gait, run, all that kind of good stuff. So anyways, that's kind of all my, all my off the cuff stuff about picking a breeder, do your homework, put in the work. And, um, you know, take your time with it. So I think those are a couple of good things to keep in mind. Anyways, I think that is it for, um, this intro. So don't forget about, uh, go check out B pro kennels and their giveaway. I don't think it's going to be live until first of February. Um, but he's got all the details up on the social media post right now. So make sure to check that out. And still got some Upland rookie hats. If you would like, shoot me a message and, uh, which, which, with which hat you'd like, and uh, we'll get shipping details and payment all figured out over uh, over Messenger. So anyways, so sorry. Uh, struggling here a little bit. Um, all right, we're going to jump into the episode with Corey Arola. Everyone have a great night, and I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Well, very cool. That's awesome, dude. Well, we'll kind of jump right in here, man. Um, well, first off, why don't you, uh, you put us on the map? Where are you talking to us from? And uh, just... Give us a little overview of who you are. Yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm Corey, and I'm here just a little bit north of you in Lakewood, Colorado. Um, from Denver, native, so been here my whole life, and moved a little bit close to the mountains out of the, the hustle and bustle of Denver. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, no, I, I, uh, I think it's safe to say you like it better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely like being over here. Uh, 
out of what Denver's turned into. <laughs> it's gotten so crowded through the years. Yeah, man. <laughs> it's been wild. It's been wild. Yeah, no, because uh, it's a nice in-between. I'm close to the mountains and close to town. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Um, I mean, you and I have been, gosh, we've been following each other for, I think, feel like a long time on online. Um, I mean, yeah, I followed uh, you with my, as as I, yeah, uh, my Upland Brits account long, long ago. Yeah. It's, it's all the dog stuff. You see people uh, posting pictures of, of dog training and hunting and stuff, and it's a much smaller community than you realize, yeah. and everybody ends up following each other, and yeah. you're not that far removed from knowing everybody I know. in the community. I know. That's the beauty of it, man. I mean, I've gotten to meet so many people, whether they're in my state or not in my state, of just like people who you really get along with and can talk about common interests and dogs and hunting and you know, you and I talk about big game hunting. I don't, I'm not necessarily a big game hunter, but I think I find it interesting and it's cool to, you know, hear someone's experiences like you. And so I think it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Just, just all the outdoor space stuff. Oh is yeah. Fun talking story about all that stuff. No, it really is. It really is. Uh, you and I got to do a little training over the summer back in August or something like that. It was, it was fun to get the dogs out and get them on some, some birds before the season. Yeah, especially because we both have uh, two newer, younger dogs yeah. that we're still trying to, to get up to speed. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I think yours, uh, he was still he, just he was a baby. freshly came home. He was a baby. Yeah. yeah, he, was, yeah. he was like 10 weeks old. Yeah, he I must think. have been. He was, he was a little guy. Um, and <laughs> your younger one, he's a little over a year now, right? She just turned a year on January 1st. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So she's super young as well. Yeah. How, how, was, her, yeah. how was her first uh, season? Uh, she's finally started pointing at some planted birds when uh-huh. I worked with some chucker okay. and she finally figured out pointing and wasn't just got a rush in there. Um, haven't had her point on a wild bird yet. Just those contacts are so yeah. few and far between. I think she forgets what she's doing. Sure. And by the time she gets on a bird, it's just like, oh man, it's in the air yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we've had fun. That's awesome. Just getting out. Getting out, getting reps for her. Yeah, man. And she's a, remind it's, me her, her breed Mexican because she's a mix. And what, what is she? Yeah, she, she's a oops. So she's a English pointer on the dad's side and German short hair on the mom's side. Okay, okay. So and it's, they're both pretty good dogs and, yeah. and she's showing some some decent traits there. Yeah, that's awesome. And so, she's, I remember she's a, she's a kind of a very leggy, has a, has a big run to her. Real, real good stride. Yeah, she is. She's just as tall as my wire hair, and just as long as him. But she's thirteen pounds lighter. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. So like, she's just like this little rocket running through the field. <laughs> Lean and mean. <laughs> Lean and mean. Yeah. That's awesome. Man. No, it's, it's it's cool to watch her run. She covers so much distance. Yeah. I was just when I was hunting yesterday, I was talking to my buddy, and I was like, I'm going to be so excited when I know that she knows what she's doing and she's looking the whole time because she covers ground so quickly. Yeah. yeah, I remember that from our our day out there. She just she covered it well. She ran well, and uh, it's it's that's the fun part seeing a, seeing a pup put it all together. Like you said, when you mm-hmm. know they're doing something on purpose like that, that's that's the best part. It's, it's like right now, I know she's looking for the first 10, maybe 15 minutes. And after that, I think it's back and forth of just like, oh, butterfly, <laughs> run fast. Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be looking for stuff. Yep, yep. <laughs> Sounds like my... Versus like my older, yeah. my older dog, he is just like, no matter how tired he is, it's that constant search, search, sure. search, search, search. I got to find something. Yeah. I was going to say, it sounds like my, my toddlers, <laughs> kids. I mean, because <laughs> focus for five minutes and, oh, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome, man! How is dogs and humans so similar? Oh yeah, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of. Uh, that's, that's another podcast. I feel. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> Especially being a, like a, the dog trainer. Like yeah. Half the time my clients are like, can you tell this to like humans for their kids? <laughs> and I was like, well, yes, but charge technically for no. that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, before we, get, we dive in too far, I know you, uh, you went out and, uh, did a little pheasant hunt, uh, what this past weekend and with, uh, some roosters no, just, just yesterday, yesterday. Oh, nice man. How'd that, yeah, how'd that yeah, go? Just well, I know how it went cause you sent me a picture. So, but yeah. tell, tell everyone, how'd, how'd it go? It, it went fantastic. Good. Uh, there was two of us hunting and we should have had a limit, okay. but came back with two birds. Hey. Uh, yeah, no, that's, that's how it goes. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's hunting. But I could not believe uh, how many birds we got up and how many roosters we got up awesome. for hunting in Eastern Colorado. Yeah. That's dude. That's, I applaud you for that. That's, that's good. Yeah. It's, it's, it's private land. So you get a little bit better odds. Sure. It's not like it's never hunted. It's, um, I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a program called Infinite Outdoors. It's like Airbnb for uh, private land. I don't know if I have. So, so uh, I got involved with it because my buddy does some of their social media and video work. Okay. So when they were getting up and running, I was helping him. Um, but you basically just book property for a day. Oh, okay. And you, you like you pay your fees and all that stuff, sure. and you book property for a day, and um, it's not exclusive access, but it's very limited access. Yeah. So it, it gets pressure, but not like walking stuff. Sure. Yeah, interesting. I'll, I'll have to look it up. I've not uh, not heard of that. What a concept, though. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, it's it's a fantastic idea on their part. Yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to to pay money when you have all this public sure. land accessible, like Onyx. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. find public land <laughs> exactly, everywhere. Exactly. But uh, so it makes it makes it hard to to pay money to go do that. But when we have a season like we had the last couple of seasons, yeah. where there's not that many birds. It's like, well, if I want to go out and make my drive worth it and make sure the dogs are actually getting bird contacts, totally. paying a couple times a year is definitely worth it in my opinion. Yeah. That's not a bad option at all. That's, if, I mean, if you got to have some success, exactly. <laughs> Especially late season, if it's been a long season, you're like, yeah, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, that's exactly use it. a it's program like, like that. I, or, I just went and walked walk-in access for four trips and saw one bird oh, and it flushed wild it's like the birds or the dogs aren't getting the bird reps they need sure. it's like okay like let's pay a little bit of money yeah. make sure we can go get on a few birds and a day like yesterday is like in the first push we hadn't even walked for 30 minutes and we had up three roosters yeah that's, and I was like, oh nice. yeah, like money well spent yeah, here. Yeah, totally, man. I know <laughs> my, uh, my recent trip to Nebraska, we did a mix of it's mostly private land, knocked on some doors um, and then some public. And mm. um, I, I, I mean, that trip alone, I mean, yeah, birds were, were definitely heavier on private. Um, so we're thankful we got on, on some of that land. But um, yeah, it, it does. It's no one, I don't, no one wants to talk about it really. Like, But yeah, public land gets hit hard. Like you don't know if someone mm. was there. A little bit before, again, I love public land. I think it's amazing. I mainly hunt it, but it, it's an extra level of challenge, which is fun. But, um, but like you say, if you want to ensure your chances a little better or your odds a little better, it's you know mm -hmm. private land or stuff like that might be uh, might be right for you. So, yeah, I mean, if if you have that availability, I don't think anyone's yeah. going to say no to exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> love it, man. Love it. Um, well, very cool, man. I also want to hear about your your moose hunt. Would you mind sharing about your uh, your moose hunt uh, this this past year? Yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. Yeah, so I was I was lucky enough to draw an archery cow moose tag, nice. and it didn't go as expected. <laughs> never does. Um, never does. Right? <laughs> no, never does. Um, spent a bunch of time scouting and could only find bulls. Uh, got into the season and finally were able to turn up a couple cows. 
and I think it was the the fourth day in, um, found a bull and a cow together, got the bow. We sneak in, and the sneak in is basically like walk from the road down to the creek in the willows, and they're just standing there feeding. It's not like sure. the exciting big game hunt that everyone pictures because <laughs> okay. moose kind of hang out by roads, oh, sure, by the sure. creeks. Okay. Um, so so di- different in but, an elk hunt then, right? Oh yeah, okay. so different. It's, there's no backpacking in. Wow, it's, that's crazy. You're, you're camping okay. at you're camping at the truck, and I was just driving my ATV up and down all the Forest Service okay. roads, so you can pull over at all the willow areas and glass. Sure. It's like where are they feeding today? It's yeah. it's a lot more uh, not really windshield time because it's ATV, but, sure, but a lot of sitting on the motor vehicle with you're your not bow packing and in miles and miles and back with a backpack and okay. Yeah. No, I mean, it's the, the most tiring part of it is just sitting there on the ATV <laughs> with your, your thumb on the throttle with <laughs> your hands Corey. getting sore. Poor Corey. But it's because, uh, so I never really rode an ATV until I drew this tag. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you're like, I'm getting on the and ATV, I ATV now. Yeah. But I didn't realize how much thumb strength it takes to push the <laughs> throttle and hold it at half position. Yeah, not like full. Like, all the way pinned. Yeah, all the way pinned, yeah. your hand is closed. But that half throttle just puts along. <laughs> so two days into this, my forearm was so sore, oh. I couldn't close my hand. And I was like, oh, geez. Like, oh I didn't realize how hard this is going to be. So, like, you figured out different ways to hold the throttle. Yeah. Um, so, luckily, that happened on a scouting trip, two days into a scouting trip. So, I ordered a throttle extension oh, so okay, I could have okay. a not sore thumb <laughs> because the release I shoot on my bow is a thumb release. Yeah. Oh, and okay. So doing you the throttle yeah, with your yeah. right. Yeah. Oh, geez, it's, man. it's my trigger finger essentially. Oh. And I was like, Oh man, like I didn't realize I'm not going to be able to use what a my dilemma. Thumb, and that, how am I going to shoot What a dilemma that no one would think about <laughs> until they listen to this podcast right now. Well, and it just like, it speaks to like testing gear out before sure. any kind of hunting yeah. or camping trip. Who would have thought I of that? Would, you, you never would have known that. Yeah. Two days in, it's like, well, now I can't shoot my bow. I can't, I either have to shoot my bow or drive an ATV. Oh I can't gosh. do both. Um, but yeah, so go back to the, the moose part of this, like just putzing around on the ATVs, glass and everything. Finally found one, walked down there with the bow and my camera guy and we're 40 yards from the bull and the cow. Get set up for the shot and it looks perfect. Beautiful, 40 yards, fletching right behind the shoulder. She runs off. We back out. We wait an hour. We go in. There's blood everywhere. We trail blood for a couple hundred yards and we find the bull and he spooks off. So we're like, okay, like maybe we're going a little bit too soon. Let's give it a little bit more time. 30 minutes later, we kind of creep in there some more more blood and it starts to peter out Hmm. and at about 400 yards we lose blood can't find anything at all we search for the rest of that day we search for the the next day when i have another buddy come up and help can't find my arrow can't find any more blood it's like oh my gosh like this looked perfect this cow should be dead um the only way i know what happened is because we had the camera guy and we're filming it looking on the camera screen it looks perfect when I brought it home and I put it on the computer with the big monitor, you can see the arrow hit a willow, just the tip of a willow branch. Before. And it, yep. before okay. it enters okay. the cow. And it kicks out sideways. So you can oh. picture the arrow like like flying like a normal arrow. Sure. And then it turns like laterally. Oh, so wow. it, hit the, it hit the moose horizontally. Oh, no way. So 
didn't get any penetration. It looks like it just slapped into her sideways and it was just a muscular oh, wound. Oh, that's crazy. Which is why there was all this blood because, sure. you know, you cut a muscle, it bleeds profusely, sure. but then it clots up relatively quickly. So that's that's what the conclusion we came yeah. to is like, okay, this arrow kicked out sideways, didn't penetrate into the body at all. Yeah. She's running around healthy. And then after that, for the life of me, I could not find another cow moose. Oh, gosh. I drove all over the unit, and it was just bull after bull after Dang, bull and man. couldn't find another cow. So I was unfortunately not yeah. able to fill that tag. Oh. But it was a fun hunt with with all the sure. the buddies that, that joined me. Yeah, on. man. Oh, that's that's a bummer. Sorry for the uh, – I mean, I'm, I'm glad you are able to get at least kind of the peace of mind of like knowing what happened with the arrow and everything. That I didn't yeah. kill an animal totally. and she's laying out there unrecovered. Exactly. Yeah. So, that, I mean, it gives you peace of mind, which is nice to have, have the camera and <laughs> – yeah, for that reason, no, it's, it's for thankful sure. for that for sure. Yeah. That that all that was able to be documented and totally. I mean, it's it's still a cool story. Yeah, got absolutely. Awesome footage of me kept me kept me entertained for five minutes. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Well, uh, we're I'm excited to have you on, man. Thanks for uh, jumping on this podcast and just to oh, yeah. get to know you a little bit more, talk dogs and uh, some of your experience. I know we are also um, going to talk uh, some camera and photography stuff as well um, later on in the conversation. I know you do some incredible photos. Um, so I want to pick Thank your, you. pick your brain on that more, but, um, first off, before we go any further, can you talk a little bit more, um, again, mostly cause I find it pretty interesting. You can, your day job, two parts. I know you do a lot of like film, film work, uh, filming hunts, and then also some, some dog training with like, dog behaviors and things like that. Can you want to explain or expand on those two things a little bit more? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, the, the two jobs that I do. Um, I don't want to say primarily because it's the two jobs that take up all all the time. Um, dog trainer is the like primary profession, if you want to call it that. Um, but I mostly deal with behavior modification and aggression rehabilitation. So the dogs that I typically get are the worst of the worst, and they've gone to other trainers and that trainer has failed them and things aren't going as expected before they, they finally get to me. Mm. Not that I don't get regular obedience sure. stuff and and training puppies every now and then I get those clients but it's it's typically the worst of the worst and it's I think that mostly chalks up to this new movement with positive only and and force fee free training that so many people want to appeal to just human emotions in dog training where yeah 80% of dogs might find success in there but that 20% on the ends of the bell curve, they need a little bit more and limiting yourself to no tools versus utilizing tools um, is all the difference in the world. And just restructuring the human brain and understanding how dogs learn and why dogs do different behaviors and how to approach it from that angle versus just feeling good about what you're doing with your dog. Hmm. And, and don't interpret this as like, Oh, like we're going to punish the dog for making sure. wrong choices. It's no, we have to teach them things first, but sometimes they need that little tap on the shoulder mm -hmm. of like, Hey, you're ignoring my command. Listen to me again. And it's sure. more about developing this communication and this cooperation and the trust in the, from the dog to the handler of, Oh yeah. Every time you've given me guidance, things go well. Sure. And, and that's gotta be tough though, because like you said, uh, you mentioned like, a, um, you're getting some of the aggressive dogs or the scared dogs. Like you're getting the extreme side of things. It's not like a, a dog's little, mm -hmm. again, I'm sure you get everything, but you can be getting dogs who are 
either very right, very aggressive or shut down. Like, so how, yeah, how do you approach? Most of the dogs I'm getting. Yeah. 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 Most of the dogs I'm getting are, they're trying to bite other people or they're trying to bite other dogs. And that's sure. by the time they're like, we need to do something about this because my dog is biting people or biting other dogs. Yeah. Um, the ultimate approach of that is developing neutrality towards those things. And like, it's a hunting podcast. Everyone has heard gunfire neutrality. Sure. Like that's the same concept with all this stuff. I need to get the dog to not care about the things that were previously scary for it mm-hmm. because that's primarily where all of the reactivity and put reactivity and aggression in the same box. That's where all that reactivity and aggression comes from is from fear. Hmm. I've only met a couple dogs in in my whole life where I was like, something is wrong with you and you are just Hmm. aggressive. It's not that like this is coming from something else. And it's only been a couple dogs of hundreds of dogs that I've had my hands on. It's all coming from that fear aspect of it. And it's, I'm uncomfortable and I'm entering fight or flight. You're, Default in fight or flight, unfortunately, is fight Hmm. instead of flight. But sometimes that's situationally as well. The dog doesn't have the opportunity to retreat. Um, But stepping back into that, it's all about neutrality. Hmm. I need to make the dog neutral towards the thing that was was previously scary so it can start to realize that it's not scary. Hmm. And it's a a slow process because most of the dogs that are just in pet homes don't have the greatest obedience. And that's kind of the foundation of all this. Mm. I need very, very good obedience. I need you to understand, sit and hold it to your release. I need you to understand a recall and come to me and wait to leave again until I tell you that you're released. Same thing with down and place and any of the other commands you want to work with. Though one we typically start with is healing match my pace and match my direction, get the dog to understand that. And then now match my pace and match my direction around something that was previously scary. Hmm. Let's say that you don't like other dogs. Learn to heal next to me while another dog is 300 yards away. Hmm. Then that turns into 250 yards, 200 yards. And if you progress through this slowly enough with the dog, they start to realize that, oh, that other dog over there isn't going to attack me. If mm-hmm. I listen to my human, everything goes well, and you eventually develop that neutrality mm-hmm. of like, okay, I can progressively get closer. This isn't scary anymore. And you go at the pace of what it takes that dog to realize it. And you do that through literally every command. Sure. Do a place while that's present. Do a sit while that's present. And it's not necessarily that you can make reactivity disappear entirely, sure. but you can get it to a more manageable and livable point where now you can take your dog places. Sure, you, you can know, take it on the walk. Or so, think, yeah, things I've like had that. so many clients where the dogs don't get to go anywhere anymore because it's so much of a nightmare mm. for the owner to take them on a walk. Sure. They can't take them to brewery patios. They can't do, can't have people over their house anymore. Yeah. And it's like, if I can get to the point where I can just walk around the park, yeah, but like not that's stop their goal. And talk to anybody. Yeah. yeah. There was like night and day difference for them. It was like, we can now leave the house yeah. and I don't have to worry about getting drugged down the street yeah. after a kid on a bike. Yeah. So you mentioned like, you know, let's say a dog's yeah healing next to you. And then you're at the stage where you introduce another dog at 300 yards. Will you see dogs that still are, that kind of will trigger something in them, even though that dog's far away? And again, might not be Every dog yards. has a, a different threshold bubble, and developing that neutrality is shrinking that bubble. Okay. So you have to figure out what that dog's distances are and how quickly you can make changes in shrinking that distance. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's crazy until you start to see it firsthand that 
the dog can heal perfectly at 50 yards. Hmm. You switch to 48 yards, losing his mind. <laughs> really? And it's like, well, what's, how do we get over this? Well, we stay at 49 yards over and over and over until we can go to 48 and nothing happens. Wow, okay. And sometimes it's taking two weeks to progress from park distance to sidewalk distance. Yeah. Sometimes it's taking two months to go from park distance to sidewalk distance. Yeah. Wow. And it's just, it, that's the part of having the trainer is that I'm there to watch you and watch your dog and be like, okay, we're going too fast yeah. or most time the owners want to be so cautious because of all the bad experiences. I'm like, no, we can push it more. Like we can, yeah. we can go at a little bit quicker pace. You can get to that, yeah. get to that spot so, sooner than you think. So you're kind of, again, correct me if I'm wrong. So you're kind of like whatever that dog's, you find whatever that dog's fearful of, or again, whether they want to fight or flight and you're, you're taking that thing, let's say it's another dog and introducing it, but you're not, you know, oh, I'm just going to force you to be friends and let's get real close and <laughs> have a party. It's, yeah, it's a slow process. Yeah, but introducing it's, them it's, that it's thing not, scared of. And then that's where it's, it's, it's not, I wouldn't even say it's introducing it because it's like, you're not going to meet this. We know that you don't want anything to do with it. It's just learn to exist around it. Uh, and then we can see down the road if once your fear disappears, if you actually do want to interact sure. or if just like humans, if you're one of those people, I was like, ah, I find that you're there. I just don't want anything to do with you. We can be next to each other, right. and, but and I don't really want to breathe and just do our, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, sometimes once the dog overcomes its fear, they're like, Oh cool. Like now I'll play with you. Like now that I realize you're not scary, yeah. like we can meet. Yeah. That's and fascinating. Just, uh, assessing that you, with each individual dog. Yeah. Um, do you find again, in, in your experience, is it mostly like it, our dog on dog? Is that like a, a most common trigger for dogs or is it just a wide variety of it's, it's more common dog on dog than dog on human. Okay. Um, and then I leave, animal other animals outside of this because that's typically prey drive versus a defense mm. drive okay it's like that's kind of innate in all the canines of like oh i gotta go after that cat i gotta go <laughs> after that rabbit gotta go after that squirrel sure. oh that's interesting but yeah i know it's it, it, and I, I think it's just that they don't like the confrontation of it, this do you think it's because of this other canine bad experience that these dogs have had like one bad experience just set them off or are some dogs are you seen just wired that way from puppies or both. Um, always a bad experience will typically cause some kind of trauma unless you have a very well-temperamented dog that can deal with it. Okay. Um, just because they, like, they're so mild-mannered that they're like, they can brush it off, mm -hmm. so to say, in like human terms. Um, but typically, with all the pet dogs that I'm seeing, that is coming from more of a genetic component than... Uh, learned behavior from a, an experience okay. and that just is poor breeding because someone wants to produce more puppies or like the puppy I have mm -hmm. is the oops is sure. like oh like two dogs got together and sure. we didn't plan on it and you just get the the unluck of the draw sure. and it's like what you know all the hunting people yeah. know about good breeding. Yeah. It's like, it's not just how the dog looks, it's the temperament, it's the drive, it's yeah. all these factors. They're, yeah, that they're getting that it. from the parents and grandparents, all that, yeah. Yeah, they're, and they're, the, a good breeder is choosing yeah. all the different components that they want to pass on. Poor breeding doesn't. So even though like German Shepherds got real bad about this for a while, everyone knows about the hips with them, but they wanted to produce more dogs. They're not paying attention to the nerves of the dog, the temperament of the dog. Oh, this one's pretty. It's the right size. The coat is gorgeous. Sure. Let's just pair these ones. And both those dogs are a little bit nervous. Mm. Then those offspring 
they're just a little bit nervous. Second generation, more nervous. Third, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And two dogs out of the litter might be fantastic. Eight dogs out of the litter might be really, really nervous. And one dog might just be a total nerve ball that can't function in normal life. And those are the ones that I end up seeing. And it's like, well, because this is a genetic component, we have a genetic ceiling. And no matter how much training we can do, we can't undo genetics. Like that's going to be our cap for us. And that's where I said, a lot of time the goal is I just want to be able to take my dog around the park. I don't need to meet people. I don't need to meet dogs. We're not going to a dog park. We just want to take a walk around the block and... yeah, no, I'm not scared to take my dog outside on leash. And like, as you go through training, as we all know, with, with e-collars, that's an extension of your leash. Sure. It's like, we go far enough through training. It's like, even though my dog was reactive and, and previously a little dangerous because of those reactive behaviors, now I can take my dog out on leash and I can unclip him and he's reliable in his recall and yeah. he can hold a place while I, another dog walks past us. Sure. And I, I trust him to do this. And it just That's huge. It, those those are huge rules, steps for, for people, yeah. The, the rules just add so much more freedom. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, you said it's a slow process. What is slow? Is that six months, a year, more, less? I, I usually tell my clients about six to eight months before you're starting to see these dogs make the choices on their own, on their own without you having to give them constant input. But that completely depends on every individual dog. Um, sometimes the problems aren't as deep-seated as it appears in the beginning. And once the dog looks at their their handler, their human as a good leader, it's like a night and day difference in two months where they're like, hey, if you tell me to do something, I will do it 100% because you haven't done me wrong. Mm. And it's like, cool, we got there super fast. Other dogs, this is typically where if like the genetics are real bad or if the handler struggles to be a good leader, it's like, yeah, this might be a year, year and a half process before you get to the point where you trust your dog to do these things. Sure. I was going to ask what's harder, training the dog or the handler? The, the human. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's always the human. Okay. And that's what I tell people. And, and they start to pick up on it, especially in the eval. They're like, you're not really a dog trainer, are you? <laughs> and it's like, no, no, I'm more of a human trainer. I'm here to teach you. But like that really is the biggest yeah. key here. And that's why I primarily do in-home training where I go meet with the person yeah. and I teach you how to train your dog and I give you guidance and we adjust things based on you and your dog because who cares if I can get your dog to work for me? Yeah. Your dog's not with me every single day. I'm not the one taking your dog to the park. We need to get to a point where your dog works for you and you understand how to work your dog because you're the one that has to do this for the 12 years that the dog is alive. Sure. And then that's the the biggest key to this. And it's it doesn't matter what dog I can get to do what. It's what human and what dog can I get to work together. Mm. And that's the success in this. Yeah. And it's you have to just be honest with some people. It's like, I always use like the most extreme examples. If I'm going to meet with a person that's a 90 pound woman and they have a 120 pound dog, like we got to take things a little bit slower. Mm, Sure. Just because there's this imbalance that if your dog does decide, hey, screw it, I'm going to pull as hard as I can. It doesn't matter what you do. 120 pounds can move 90 pounds. Sure. And then 
same thing. I, I had one lady, she was like, she was pushing 80. She was like mid to late seventies oh, wow. and she had a three-year-old Aussie. And I tried to push for her to do a board and train. Cause I was like, you're just a little too old to handle this rambunctious <laughs> dog. And you're trying to say it in the nicest way possible, yeah, yeah. but it's like, uh, you're not the sharpest tool in the shed anymore. Your reactions are like <laughs> totally. really, really delayed. But, but she was so insistent on, yeah. on doing the training herself wow. and it, it, it wasn't a success. And yeah. it's like, you yeah. kind of take those to heart, like, sure. oh man, I, I failed this dog, but it's like, also it's like- The, the, the person had their, yeah, she had her mindset on, hey, I'm doing this. And, well, it's, and I, I think just part of being the trainer is like, you can't put your heart out to, to everyone sure. or you just get compassion fatigue. Right. You're like, hey, I, I, I did my job yeah. to the best of my ability. If they don't want to rise to the occasion- that's on them. And I just, you always feel bad for the dog though. Absolutely. Especially when you, you see potential or like this dog could be doing this and it's yeah. the human that's letting them exactly. down. Exactly. And I'm sure bird dog trainers, you know, pro trainers out there would say the same thing. Some of them have told me that it's, it's harder to train it. You know, the handler, the human, when oh, they, yeah. when they come back and pick the dog up, they're like, okay, now I gotta, now I gotta mm-hmm. train you how, you know, to work with this dog. And so that's, that's a hard and, component. And that's, that's, what's nice about in-home training too, is like everything's going along dog and human simultaneously. Yeah. The board and train is always just like, so your dog is here at level 10 sure. and welcome to level one. Yeah, you got to catch him up you that to level quick. 10. That's, yeah. yeah. That's a challenge. And, and the smart dogs and the drivey dogs, like all the hunting they, dogs, they, they capitalize on the out, weak human. I bet. Yeah. I bet. What, okay. With, with knowing all this, this is your job. This is what you do day to day. How does that translate or help you or hurt you with your own bird dog then? You know, does it help you in training your dog? Does it give you more, does it, yeah, does it affect that in any way, positive or negative? Uh, the the only negative that I see is that when I'm working with other dogs, it detracts from when I could be working with my own dogs. Okay. Um, that That's that's really, it's just time. Yeah. But everyone has jobs too. Sure. Um, so it's not like the biggest negative cause you got to go to work and yeah. you only have X amount of time to work with your own dogs. But if I got to go work with three people a day and then come back home and train a couple board and train dogs, sometimes I'm like, eh, let's just throw the bumper yeah. and not actually work on anything. Sure. And that's where I was like, oh, okay. Now you're missing out. A little more intentionality um, with your own dogs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but the, the benefits are like you have three dogs at home. How many dogs have you trained? Your three dogs. I have my hands on hundreds of dogs and I get to see all different behaviors. I get to see all different displays of body language. And I think it just makes you quicker and more in tune with dogs in general. Mm. So then when I'm working with my own dogs, I can be a little bit uh, faster paced and intentional because I've seen this 30 times yeah. in 30 different dogs and you do something different and I can jump to another experience I had. And it's like, Oh, I seen a dog do this. Mm-hmm. Like let's adjust for this. And I don't have to learn it and make mistakes on one dog through its whole life. Sure. I get, get, get a lot of practice. Oh, I bet, man. I, I think you said like body language. I think that's probably huge. Right. Cause I mean, a way a dog looks or they stand or wh- how they go into whatever it might be reading that body language. I know was, I've heard some older guys as well talk about just the importance of, being able to read a dog's body language when you're going into training or hunting, I think that's a really mm-hmm. important aspect. But on, and that those those minute details are the biggest difference in the reactivity training. It's like, I'm not waiting for you to explode. I'm looking for all the signs that you're nervous, mm. and that's how I know I'm starting to cross the line. Sure. Like, I'm, I'm sure you've seen it when dogs greet each other, that stiff stance. Sure. 
It's like, oh, if, if we're practicing healing and we go from 40 yards to 38 yard, yards and you all of a sudden get a little stiff by my side, that's how I know that I'm getting a little too close. Mm-hmm. I'm not waiting for the pulling and the barking. Sure. And when then you coach the handler, the owner to start to look for those like little signals that, right? also. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hey, this is how you can get your dog to trust you because you're picking up on what they're feeling and what they're thinking and you can make adjustments before it's a big deal. Yeah. And that's, that's, I get to see that with hundreds and hundreds of dogs and it just makes me so much more in tune with my own dogs. Yeah, I bet. That's, that's so cool, man. I love that. That's a, you gotta have some cool experiences. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely, uh, definitely fun. Yeah. No, I bet. I bet. Playing with dogs is always fun. It's like humans are always the the downside, but it's not, uh. Human, Typically not that humans bad. Just, <laughs> humans just ruin things sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Just more dogs. Yeah. Um, let's jump. Aside from that. Yeah. No, I was, I was going to say. I was going to say. Let, aside, yeah. No, go ahead. Oh, aside from that, it's uh, then I do the filming yeah. for, for Outback Outdoors. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, I'm sure this job. will kind of, yeah, intertwine a little bit with your, with your journey. Kind of wanted to, um, I mean, again, we weave this into your story, but like, like what got you into the outdoors and hunting and just like take us through your journey a little bit. Um, catch us up here. I just kind of grew up into hunting, uh, being a little kid. I remember my dad leaving to go on, on rabbit hunts and then he got into turkey hunting and I just remember being young and I was like, Oh, this sounds so cool. I can't wait to go. And of course you got to grow up a little bit. So he finally took me on a couple of rabbit hunts when I was a little bit older and I was like, Oh, this is cool went on a couple turkey hunts and it's like this this is fun but this is a whole lot different when you're getting up before the sun and got to <laughs> walk to the tree and sit there um but still still fell in love with it and then take hunter safety and it's like cool now now I get to do this and just kind of spent my my childhood and teenage years hunting turkeys with him and going after rabbits and doves occasionally and loved reading about hunting, loved watching hunting videos. And as I turn 18, I'm like, I want to go big game hunting. And it's in Colorado, when you're 18, you can start to go hunting by yourself. Under 18, you always need an adult with you and he didn't big game hunt. So I was like, well, I'm going to figure this out and, and just dove into that world and started rifle hunting. Then, um, went a few times with just acquaintances and people I know just to go chase after pheasants in Eastern Colorado, but it was so, never like Real this. quick, I was going to ask. So when you're 18, you know, start to figure out big game hunting on your own. Did you have some early success? No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, it, it, it took me, uh, took me five years to kill, uh, my first big game animal. Okay. I killed, uh, a cow moose that fifth year. And then that next year I killed a, a buck deer. And then after that, it was kind of just like the floodgates opened up. Yeah. Like I figured out how to do this and, um, it's not, not necessarily with elk, but with deer, I was, uh, putting meat in the freezer every single fall. Oh, nice. Um, and then as I figured this out, my dad and I found a spot to hunt out on the Western slope. And every year that we've gone out there, we always bring back two deer. Um, so it was just nice. like. 
this is the coolest thing. Yeah. Like every third season, go out there, we're able to find That's find awesome. bucks and bring bucks home. And just took my buddy out there this last fall with us, and we got him his first elk. Oh, nice! Or his his first bull. He's killed a cow before, okay. but his his first bull elk. Oh, that's so cool. But yeah, no, it, it took a while to find success, but yeah. after I figured it out, yeah. then it was it like, okay, to I, click I know how this goes. Yeah. yeah. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I know what I'm looking for. So yeah, sometimes that's all, all it takes is, is a, a success or a couple successes. And it's like, okay, now mm. this all makes sense. Now, you know, it's all coming what, together. What were all the pieces that fit right. to make this success happen? Let's replicate that. Yeah, because it's not, you know, it's not just one thing you do. It's, it's a multitude of a lot mm-hmm. of different components that mm-hmm. make, you know, that hunt be successful. And, and I think it's kind of the, kind of the opposite. It's not all the stuff that I did. It's it like, do. okay, I did this. <laughs> yeah, I I did this and it was wrong. Don't do that again. Yeah. Okay, I did this and it screwed this up. Don't do that again. So it was five years of learning what not to do. Sure, that's a, that's a good way. Uh, to put. Here's all these mistakes. <laughs> Don't do these. Exactly. And then you start to find success. Exactly. And, I mean, kudos too for, I mean, sticking with it for five years, unsuccessful. Because some, you know, some people, you know, Two, three seasons after bad, you know, unsuccessful. Like, ah, screw this. You know, it's, it takes some, well, some guts of just standing in there. Be like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to learn. I'm going to grow, you know, push forward. Well, I, th- I think that part of that was because, uh, yeah, we're out there to hunt and like the success of the hunt is killing something and bringing it home and eating it. But like a huge proponent of it for me is just being out there in the woods and camping and hanging out and looking at nature. And that's why I got so into photography and, and big into that. Like I was doing that as a little kid when I didn't even have film in a camera. I was <laughs> like, this is cool. I'm, I'm documenting this. And it was like, yeah, I might not be bringing home an animal, but I'm taking all kinds of pictures. I'm, I'm looking at the forest, wake up. I'm seeing the birds and the rabbits and squirrels mm. and seeing animals that I'm not hunting just exist in the, yeah. their environment, unaware of a human presence. Yeah. And I was like, I think that's what keeps me going out there. Even if I don't have the, the stereotypical success is like, I just want yeah. to go here. There's so much to, to experience out there. There's so it's, from the animals from just the beauty and nature and the woods and uh, whether it's on, on, you're in the grasslands or the prairies, whatever it is, like there's so much that we get to see that, a lot of the world doesn't get to experience, you know, cause. And it's, it's, it's just, I wanted to share that with people. Yeah. And it was like, like you said, it's like, we get to see that so many people don't. And back when I don't want to say the internet was new, but when it was still like in its infancy of sharing stuff, sure. um, I started putting all my photos on one of those blog pages that you could make. Oh, sure. And I was like, yeah, I get to see all this stuff yeah. that other people don't. Yeah. I go on these trips and I tell people about it. Well, like, let's put my pictures here and then I could email them a link. Oh, nice. So that was, was like that's kind what of the same thing. That's what kind of led you down the, the photography. Like you just wanted to share this, these views yeah, and these experiences was, with people. I was taking the pictures anyway, and I was like, well, why not now figure out how to share them? And this was like before Instagram and and when Facebook was like brand new and only college students could have it. (laughs) And I was like, okay, like here, this is cool. Like it's not a magazine, but I can put all my pictures with captions and I can send the email off to to the friends and family and they can, they can see these things that people don't get to see. Yeah. That's super cool, man. When did, when did the bird hunting take you know, when'd you go down that rabbit hole? Um, I went a handful of times, 
growing up with with family friends or acquaintances and and never had too much success so it was, it was like the there's a group of us going to walk fields and look for pheasants no one had a dog and i was like okay like i'd love to kill a pheasant but i have no idea what i'm doing sure. just walk around with the shotgun um and then my my good friend that i met through archery he has a wire hair and, uh, I just started going along with him and I was like, this is so cool watching the dogs do mm-hmm. this. We're finding success and his wire hair is from the same kennel as mine. I think Maverick is six now or just over six. So he's a, a few years older than my dog, but I was like, this is the coolest thing. Like, I want to keep doing this with you. I eventually want to get my own dog. Yeah. Like this is a blast. And then I, I really dove into it more once I had a dog because it's the dog. You kind of need the dog for success. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, <laughs> and, once you, and then once you have a dog, you have to pour into it more. And yeah. Yeah. And that's like, now I feel bad if I don't get my dog out a bunch. Yeah. It's like, Oh, I got to do this for you. Yeah. Not cause, cause I want to, cause you love it's like this. having a kid, man. Just like having a kid. <laughs> <laughs> a, a kid that's a little bit easier. Yeah. It's like, Oh, we can put you away <laughs> exactly. and you can take care of yourself. I won't yeah. get locked up if I, you know, put you in a kennel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the crib with a lid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Um, and what? Yeah, so it's only, yeah, so yeah so, so, go ahead. Uh, so it's only been about about four-ish years because he turns four in April okay. that I've really been like all into, I shouldn't say all in because I still big game hunt a bunch, sure. um, but like way more into birds is since I got him. Yeah. And, and okay, so picking up your first bird dog then, was it, you know, you went the wire hair route because you, that, like that was your first experience seeing that? Like, like did you know, as soon as you saw, saw that dog, do you know you wanted a wire hair? Or what else Not really. Uh, I was, uh, everyone looks at GSPs because that's like the, the standard go-to dog. And I was also looking at poodle pointers because another buddy that I'd hunted with a bunch had a poodle pointer and a pointing lab. And I was just kind of looking for this, this versatile dog hmm. um, because wanted to try goose and duck hunting, wanted to go after upland stuff. And they're just kind of like the all-terrain vehicle yeah. of, of bird dogs as you start to dive into it. It's like, they're not the best at anything, but they're really dang good yeah. at everything. Yeah. We're, yeah. You can try those different um, things and yeah. Yeah. And, um, we, this was with an older girlfriend, how I got into dog training. Um, she had two Malinois. So it's like, I also want a little bit tougher, more robust <laughs> dogs. If we're going to have a dog living with Malinois, sure. if he's just a, a little Sally and yeah. he's getting beat up on all the time, it's the dynamics. And, and the Malinois, those are, those are the big fluffy dogs. Real big. That, that's Malamute. Malamute. Okay. What the the Malinois? Malinois are the ones that you see with the uh, SWAT and police. So they either have Belgian Malinois oh, or yeah. okay. German Shepherds. Okay. Yeah. So the, the bite dogs. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So yeah you need a little, something <laughs> so, to hold its own. <laughs> Yeah, just because they're they're little high energy, always got to be doing something. Very similar to a lot of the hunting dogs. <laughs> sure, just uh, just quite a bit more mouthy, uh, especially of when you're doing like they're trained for bite work. Oh, sure. So just a little bit tougher dog, and she just fit the bill real well. Yeah, that's so cool, man. But well, it's 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 been fantastic with him. I've I've enjoyed it, and it's uh it's funny like because I get to have my hands on a lot of different dogs, just like seeing the different in the breeds that are just still bred to do the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But seeing it in a bird dog form. Yeah, it's like uh, like just the, like the wire hair personality. 
Yeah. Like, it's funny. You jump on any wire hair page and it's something that everyone comments on, just like how silly and goofy they can be mm. when they're not working. And it's like, it totally speaks truth. Like really? he's just like a goofball at home, <laughs> but it's crazy. Like once the tailgate drops and he's in the field, Lasered it is in. so serious. Yeah. yeah. It's like to the point where it's like, I will like do this all day yeah. long. I live for nothing yeah. else. And then you can come home. I and guess just that's kind of what you want. Yeah. That's, that's, that's ideal. Yeah. I, I, I think that's awesome. Having, having that, true switch of going all right this is my work that's my play you know a home time and mm-hmm. i think that's pretty cool to see it's, it's just uh still like even at four like still not a real off switch yet so, <laughs> and i think it's but what i always tell people is like the best working dogs don't make the best pet dogs like with the melon yeah dogs. like you have to know makes them good at biting yeah you have yeah. to know what you're getting into make some horrible pets right. like he is fantastic super driven but I'm driven all the time. So there's never really like, let's just hang out. Yeah. And it's like, well, we're playing, but we're playing 100%. Yeah. I'm like, chewing on this bone. Can you bone, just play 50%? Chewing 100%. Yeah. Yeah. No, and like even at four, that hasn't really slowed down yeah. as much. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, you're fantastic in the field, but I can't, like he's in the crate right now because yeah. if I have him out while we're doing this, it's just going to be like, what are we doing? Where are we going? Why aren't we doing something? <laughs> we going hunting? We going Throw playing? What are we doing? What play we doing? tug with me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Have you gotten uh, gotten him out to duck hunt or goose hunt at all? Yeah, we've gone out a couple times this year. Um, the one time we went, it was just last week, I met a guy in the parking lot and we were both hunting solos. So he's like, hey, just hunt with me because we're the only ones there. We had so many ducks come in front of us and we couldn't hit anything <laughs> to save our lives. Like it, it was embarrassing, oh, like no. feet down, like yeah. flock of eight feet down right in the in decoys. We shot eight times between the two of us at that single, <laughs> like that single wave of ducks oh, and not man. a single duck was hit. Oh. And it was just like, what? so, like, uh, yeah. he didn't, he didn't get any retrieves <laughs> because we couldn't hit any ducks. <laughs> do, do you give you the side eye? Like, what the frick are we doing? <laughs> yeah. Well, we haven't had too much success waterfowl cause I've only done that for a couple of years. So I think for him, it's just like, so we walk all the way over here and I search but then we get here and I have to sit still. Yeah. Like this isn't how we find birds. Like, this is we find birds by moving different. around. Right, right. Yeah. So I, I I'm still waiting for that successful day where it's just like duck after duck after duck. So he can realize that hey, if we stay right here, they're gonna come to us. Yeah. And I think once he experiences that, it'll be a little bit uh, more enjoyable for him. Oh yeah, totally. How, how's your season been so far? I know we're we're in January. We're you know getting kind of tail end of you know Colorado closes end of January. Um, yeah, do you, did you do any big trips, uh, any highlights, I guess that would, that would stand out for you this year with your dogs or. No, we, we didn't get any big trips in this year. Just busy with all the, the other stuff of life. Um, just hunting Colorado a bit. Um, we've probably got, shit, I haven't been keeping track, probably five or six pheasants just here in Colorado nice. on a few day trips. And then I've went to the the put and take a, a few times just because I have the one year old yeah. and I'm trying to make sure I get her get some good bird contacts in a very controlled environment. Um, so of course I run my bigger dog there too, sure. just to make sure he's having a good time. Yeah. Uh, it's, I call it a success with that. Like we're, we're getting on the wild birds and we go out and then they're getting plenty of bird contacts. Absolutely, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, I, I'd love to plan a trip, uh, up north a little bit more and get sure. to North Dakota or South Dakota, but it just wasn't in the cards this year. Totally, man. Totally. There, every year I have like a list of like, August rolls around. I have a list like a mile long of like, I'm, I'm going to go here, 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 and here, and I'm going to end there. 
and I get like <laughs> to a quarter, if that, of my list. Because <laughs> like, life, well, it's, it's life, gotta be tough for yeah, kids, dogs, yeah. work, you know, all the stuff. That's what I was gonna say with you. You got you got all the kids. It's got to be tough to oh, yeah. to get that time away. I know, I know. I mean, yeah. And then, boys in hockey now that's just ramping up and craziness man <laughs> and, and 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 that's what i run into because with with my own big game hunting and then filming yeah, for out back outdoors that. my september october and november get pretty full yeah and th- that stuff i can't take my dogs on because we're i'm filming and working so i gotta have someone watch my dogs and i don't want to overburden people but then when i get back through the holidays I have people that want me to board their dogs. <laughs> so I have a lot of dogs yeah. through the Thanksgiving time and Christmas time. And that means that I can't leave to go hunt minus little day trips. Sure. Um, so it just kind of eats into to what's available. And that's why I've been getting out a little bit more since, since Christmas and new year's because yeah. it's everyone finished their vacations. Right. Now they're home. So now it's and, just me and my dogs. Yeah. It, was, it was just me and my dogs for a week until I got those dogs today. Yeah. So it was a nice little break where we could just go chase pheasants and ducks for a few days. Totally. Totally. Why don't you share a little bit about how'd you, how'd you get connected with Outback Outdoors and what do you do for them? So I, uh, I'm a camera guy and producer for them. Uh, I just got hooked up with them about a year ago. I shouldn't say hooked up with them. Like I've, I've known Trevin for quite a few years, but started working with him a year ago. Um, no limits archery range is here in Denver. It's, it's our, probably our biggest archery shop in town. Um, and just with all the, the big game stuff and, and hunting and the outdoor space, know everybody there. And Phil, Phil Mendoza, who runs the shop was doing a archery competition called, um, the alpha bow hunting competition. And it's don't need to go into all the details with that. Look it up. It's super cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he'd run that every summer and Trevin would come and help commentate because he'd been running the TV show forever and he'd compete in it. So I met Trevin there and then just through the years talking all the stuff, he learns that I know about photography and videography and he reaches out to me. He's like, Hey, I, I need help with this. Like my other guy left, I need someone to come in and do this. And it's a hunter who knows how to run cameras <laughs> and knows how to edit. I don't need to teach all these skills because, <laughs> um, once I got into this, uh, you realize like guys like me are a few and far between mm. you got hunters, but they don't know how to work a camera. Sure. You got camera guys, but they don't know how to hunt. Sure. Have, and having that if true, you're true, like hybrid of knowing both those things really well. And, and, and it's, it's because they can cause so much conflict for each other. Uh, if I'm just dragging someone that knows how to run camera around with me and you're trying to sneak up on an animal, I don't need to be, Hey, you need to be quiet. Hey, you need to crouch down. Sure. I need them to anticipate, Hey, they're going to pick their head up. We should both be frozen. Mm. So one person, the hunter can concentrate on the hunt. The camera guy can work on documenting it, but he's not screwing up the hunt. Sure. Cause that's like the worst thing is like, we didn't get the animal cause the camera guy screwed right. up. <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> yeah. No. And, and I had a new guy with me on my moose hunt and I'm, I'm not blaming him at all. It's not like the biggest contributing factor, but we were standing there 40 yards from the moose and he couldn't get the camera to focus. Mm. So I had to step back and focus the camera and then step back forward to make my oh, okay. shot. Gotcha. Gotcha. And it's like those little things like sure. in, in a very crucial those, moment, those are distractions. make it or break it. Yeah. Yeah. But it also could be like my movement could spook the animal. Sure. And luck, luckily it was a the moose, moose are and, yeah. moose and they don't care about humans that much because they see them all the time yeah. and they're hardly hunted. But a, a elk or a deer is that doesn't fly. Yeah. So it was just the, that unique combination of like, cool, I don't have to teach a hunter how to work a camera. Right. 
That's not, that's a special special breed of person right there. <laughs> to, to know both those 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 things together. So, um, I mean, that's probably taking you on some pretty cool to to some pretty cool places. I'd imagine on some pretty pretty cool hunts. Not so far yet, just because it's been this last year that okay. I've been working with him. Um, we did a kid's turkey hunt out near Gunnison in the spring, but then Trevin really didn't draw any tags this fall. Okay. So we filmed my moose hunt. We filmed his high school buddy's deer hunt. We filmed my dad and my's deer hunt, and he filmed his whitetail hunt in Kansas. Okay. Um, so hopefully next year he draws some, yeah. some tags, Going so we'll have some, some better hunts to film. Nice. And then if, if I counted all my points, right, I should draw an archery bear tag for Southern Colorado. Okay. Nice. Um, that's a pretty hard one to get. And that'll be a fun one to film. Yeah. Killing a, killing a big old black bear with a bow. That's awesome, man. That'll be fun. That'll be really fun. Yeah. Well, very cool, man. Um, wanted to get into kind of the photography side of things. I think we kind of, it's a good segue with camera work and all that kind of stuff. But what, um, I mean, if anyone looks at your page, you know, was it just Corey? Just Corey? Just my first and last first name. And last name. And yeah. How do you say it? Corey Arola. Arola. Yeah. Okay. Arola, yeah. Like, like a Corolla, but a Arola. <laughs> Close <laughs> enough, right? Yeah. That's what I said in my head. I'm like, Close I, enough. I think that's how he say it, said it, so... That's how all my college emails work because oh. they always do your first initial and last name. Yep. So it was always Corolla at. Oh, that's the place. awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, if, I mean, if anyone yeah, looks Corolla at your, on Instagram, at your Instagram yeah. page, they will see just some really nice photography work, really nice shots. Um, not just not just the quality, but the style, the lighting, the editing, whatever you do with these, these photos are really, really nice. Um, but kind of our, our conversation, I want to just chat about like what. Like what makes a good, I'm just going to like open-ended question. Like what makes a good photo? And what are some tips, I guess, as we talk through this, that, that people could take from this and go, if they want to shoot better photos of their birds, of their dogs, out on their adventure, like, what, I don't know, what, what's some of your experience that, that you could share with them? Yeah. So like, well, let's just take a step back from that question first. And it's like, what makes a good photo? Yeah. Um, uh, my minor in college was photojournalism. So as I better understood photography and kind of figured this out, that rooting cause was journalism. Hmm. I'm documenting something for real. It's not stylized. It's, it's hardly edited. I'm capturing an actual moment. And I feel like that's carried over into all the photo work that I've done since then is I try to shoot in a way that shows someone exactly what I'm seeing mm. and how I'm seeing it. And then the other part of that is what is a photo versus what is art? I feel like with Photoshop and Lightroom mm. now and just the how technology hasn't exploded, people are making photos more artistic and mm. they're not really a photograph anymore. Mm. It's like, yeah, it stemmed from a, a photo that I took with a camera, but I've added so many different layers and so many edits to this. I'd classify that more as now this is an art piece. Mm. It's yeah, it's, it's in the photo category, but this is. So would you say the more you more have to art. edit something, uh, more you, the more you have to edit a photo, it becomes I, I, generally maybe less of a photo to me. Okay. Uh, that's it's art. It's everyone. It's art. Sure. Everyone has their opinion. Yeah. yeah. Like, Everyone's going to tell someone they're right or wrong. Yeah. But it's like, I'm sure you've all seen the ads where like, this is overlaid with that. Like you sure. see it all the time on, on Instagram where it's like, you have the bare silhouette and there's like a mountain sure. backdrop overlaid with it. It's yeah. like, yeah, those were both photos. Yeah. But at this point, it's more of an artistic picture. Sure. 
And so, so like if just to speak to the photos that I think are photos is like, I want to capture what I saw yeah. and how I saw it so I can share that with other people. And that's typically how I try to shoot my photos and edit my photos. Yeah. And that's editing isn't necessarily adding or changing things. It's understanding how the camera captures all the information on the sensor mm-hmm. And then in your digital dark room and in Lightroom, going through and making those adjustments so it's like your eye was seeing it in that moment, mm. just because our eyes have a lot more flexibility than the camera does to see things. And like I'm sure everyone has seen that just on their little iPhone screen. Mm. You go into a, a dark room and you're like, wow, this does not look like it does to my eye. Sure. And it's just it can't adjust like our eye does. Yeah. Backing up one step to your, you know, you studied photojournalism. I know nothing about that, I'll be honest with you. It, is that that more of like a like more of a on the storytelling side of that like of of like telling the story of what you saw via yeah. photo or video yeah so like the, the parts of the class were like just like straight up journalism like this person's writing an article they need a picture to go with this article and i was like okay like i gotta go take a picture of this intersection mm. make a cool photo of this intersection but then the other part of it was like photo essays it was like how can i tell a story of like when I went out with you, mm. of you training with your dogs without words. Mm. What pictures can I put together to t- give like a whole overall view of this where someone can look at this and be like, hey, I know what's going on. I feel this way looking at this. I understand like the picture of you and Mac, like this guy's affection towards his puppy. Mm. When you're adjusting the 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 tail and steadiness, like, oh, I, I can see him engage with this dog while she's doing stuff, but no words have to be spoken there. Wow. And that's that's what I mean. I was like, I want to show people what I'm seeing there, but all this information is just in an image. Yeah, w- without and, a and whole written post caption. Yeah, yeah all that. That's, mm-hmm. oh, oh, it's just like brilliant. Two, two or three photos. Yeah, two or three photos. I was like, here, this is what's going on. Yeah. Like, that's always that like behind in, in my mind, like behind the lens, what, what can I shoot isn't to, like that to old, tell this? Isn't there an old saying, like a, a photo is worth a thousand words? Like kind of that, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of that mentality of like this photo captured all the words that you could say, but that the photo says it right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I, I want to be able to, to show you this and you know what's going on without any speaking. Yeah. That is, oh, that's freaking, I, I love the, so, that creativity behind it. And then creativity is it's probably wrong word for it, but just the the mindset behind it i guess like yeah just like the overall idea of why i'm taking this image yeah and you don't have to explain it with a full page word doc (laughs) something Mm -hmm. like that (laughs) (laughs) yeah um so so it's like yeah like going back to like your original this is like like what can people better do with their photos it's like well what what are what happened here Mm -hmm. that you're trying to take a picture of to have this memory. I know that's a very like clunky way mm. to say it, but it's like, that's kind of the whole point of pictures. I think that people are taking and why they're, they're taking them and saving them and saving the family is like, I'm trying to share to save this memory and share this memory with other people. So if they just think a little bit of like, what just happened, what memory am I trying to capture? Mm. How can I shoot this in a way that better encapsulates that entire memory? Mm. I think they might just see that slightest improvement in what they're taking. And that's like not technical at all. That's just purely like again goes back to what you and I were talking about a little bit earlier of the country we get to see, the experiences we get to have out in the the wild, whether it be prairie or woods, wherever you are, like like taking a camera along to kind of capture some of those memories, right? You might be with Mm -hmm. your dad or your mom or your brother or friends and, and documenting that in some way 
capturing those memories, like you're saying, I think is a something we can look back on. I mean, again, I, I try to journal here and there, um, some of my hunts and that. I'm not not great about that. Um, so, but I do take a lot of photos, and that's what I, you know, I get home from a hunt, and I sit down on the couch with the kids and go through all my five thousand photos of my dogs and birds and different things, and um, it get to kind of bring the bring my kids into like what I experienced out there, you know, what I saw in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. This was this is the hotel room. This was the you know the snow blizzard we were in, and and so I think that's a again we're I think we're talking about a mindset right now, and just a we're not talking technical, but I think that's a important thing that you can share with others. Oh, definitely. It's, it's so easy these days. It's on, it's on your phone. Yeah. takes fantastic <laughs> photos. And it's like, yeah, this is everything I experienced. And you just get to, it's more inclusive. Yeah. Do you ever feel, is there ever a point, and this, this may be funny because you're an actual photographer, <laughs> like does a, a picture or a phone, you know, taking pictures or a camera, does that ever inhibit your experience or are you just so comfortable with it now where it, it, um, makes your experience better in the outdoors? It, it does inhibit it a little bit and it goes back and forth in waves, but uh, it's, it's just this constant internal struggle of, I want to capture stuff and I want to enjoy stuff. And every now and then I'm like, I'm just going to leave the camera behind Mm -hmm. and just immerse myself in this. And then I was like, I can't, like, I got this thing. I got to take it with me. (laughs) And, and sometimes I'm good about not pulling it out. Sure. And it's like the opposite advice of what I'm going to give other people. It's like, take your camera, take it out. (laughs) But like, sometimes I'm good about like, no, like just be here and enjoy this one. Like I don't have to capture everything, but it's just that constant struggle. It's like, and it's not because like, I feel obligated to make posts. Like I've been hardly active on my Instagram in this last six months, but I've taken a ton of photos. It's just like, I like capturing things, even if I don't share it. And I think that's why the struggle is a little bit harder for me because it's not about creating content. Sure. It's just, I like doing this and I like just enjoying it. Which one can I do? It's how, it's how you're wired. Yeah. And it's like, just on this last pheasant hunt to carry the camera around in my game bag the whole day <laughs> we're walking. And it's like, take I, I took a few good photos of my buddy in his lab and it's like, yeah, I used it for like a 10 minute span, yeah. but I carried it in my pack the entire day. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, sometimes those pictures are worth it. And sometimes like, yeah, I wish I would just... Have a day without it. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, well, uh, I don't even know how to frame this question a little bit, but I, I guess in like styles of photos, let's just take your average person out there. They're, they're not a photographer. Let me, let's take me for example. I don't know. Someone. Is there, um, you know, let's, let's talk about upland. We're thinking upland hunting here. Is there like just take pictures of anything? Is there um, the, the creative element? Like, what is your style? What your recommendations as far as like, just, yeah, just take a picture of whatever. Or is there like a, if someone wants to take better photos, is there a way to like, I don't know. Can I get what I'm trying to say? Yeah. 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 So like the, the biggest one that's always stood out to me and that I always tell people first is don't take a picture your grandma could take. Mm, Okay. And what is, so it's probably not just grandmas now. It's probably our moms (laughs) because like that was a generation ago that I I heard this information, but like, what does your mom do when she takes a photo? Eye height tilts it down. So everything is from this perspective that you see every single day. That's not unique. It's not creative. It's what you see 24 hours a day. So change that up. Take the picture from a different angle, from a different elevation, 
crouch down, climb on something, just change it mm. up from that standard eye height photo. And you should see a definite improvement in the pictures that you're taking. Just changing. That's more just an angle, really. Yeah. Yeah. It's crouch down, get eye level with the dog, get, get on the ground with the bird in front of the dog. Like just, just change up that perspective a little bit and you should see a, a definite improvement there because everybody's just, I pull out that phone or that camera and I hold it at my face and we see that angle so frequently that it's kind of boring. Yeah. And then the other one is think about like going back to the story part of it is like, there's your overall picture. And there's the macro picture and then there's the micro picture. So when I'm trying to get creative with this, I was like, okay, like we'll just go to like the tailgate photos, even though I, I never do those with my dogs and birds, like birds on the tailgate, dog on the tailgate, pictures framed. It's just truck tailgate that that's kind of that overall, Hey, this was happening. Sure. The macro picture might be getting 50, 80, hundred yards. Here's the truck in the prairie. Mm. Micro picture might be birds around the tailgate, dog's paws are sitting there because the dog's sitting next to it, but the birds fill up half the frame and you can kind of see the dog's paw in the background. You get to see the detail and the color and the feathers. Mm. And it's thinking about, it's like, okay, like I always take this sitting at the tailgate. Let's try this tight photo. Well, let's back up and try this real wide photo and just like show this big macro lens of what's going on. Mm. And, and just changing that up a little bit is probably going to add a different element to your photography as well. Yeah. Wow. I, that, Cause yeah, you're getting to see, yeah, different details, angles, bigger picture, smaller picture of that experience. And kind of, like you said, go, it kind of goes to that storytelling aspect. Mm -hmm. And then clean horizons and, and body outlines mm. don't have a antenna or a, a telephone post or a branch coming out of a human's head or out of the dog's <laughs> head. And it's like, you're just looking for that clean background. Yeah. And it's like, you don't think of it in the moment, like it's, well, they're not watching us right now, but I have the antler coming out of my head yeah, right yeah. now. Maybe. Doesn't make for a, a nice image. And it's like, yeah, you're taking a picture of me. Sure. But it's, it's a almost like a distraction on. a little bit. Yeah. But like you rotate slightly and you make my outline clean. Even if you're not actively noticing it, yeah. your brain is aware that this image is better than this image. Wow. Dude, <laughs> I love the way your brain works. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so good what's your what's no, your what's your take on tailgate photos i'm i've never been a huge fan of like that like that standard pile picture yeah. or, or grip and grin like of course i always take them because sure. it's like you gotta have that just in case you want sure. it. like more so like especially with big game animals so it's sure. like yeah here's me and my buddy or the three of us that were along this hunt we're all here with this but i like sharing like typically the like the tighter more artistic of like hands on the antlers sure. or you're holding the bird and you can see fingertips and all the cool colors of the feathers mm. or the the dog carrying it back in the retrieve i'd rather share that to show that i had success than just that like here's all the birds we got today sure yeah yeah i know it's, that's been talked about over the years of you know i have nothing against it yeah. it's just i like i like showing it a different way because i think the pictures are more unique than just the standard one. Yeah. They, they, again, you, they, they tell more of the story. I think going back to that mm -hmm. might, might be our theme here that we're, that we're chatting about, but <laughs> telling that story kind of through a, through a photo, I think is, is pretty special. Um, and then I guess going between, you know, again, does someone need to buy and bring along a, you know, big expensive camera or are iPhones good enough these days? Like what's your take on that? 
some people reach out to me, but like, oh, do I, should I buy a nice camera? I'm like, I have no clue. Ask someone else first off. And then, you know, what's your take on, <laughs> on that? So, so if you really want to step up your photo game, yes, you need to step into a camera that you can run on fuel on full manual. However, take the camera that you have, use the camera that you have because you can take dang good photos on these new iPhones. Ever since, I think it was the 12s that came out with that M1 chip, yeah, like yeah. it does a fantastic job. It captures stuff phenomenally. You just don't have the true flexibility of a DSLR or a mirrorless camera. Hmm. And when you really want to dive into it and take more professional, like really banger photos, you can't do that with an iPhone. Um, I shouldn't say you can't because a real good photographer can switch the iPhone over into a more manual mode and they can get it to do what they want. And it's really, really awesome. It's still not quite as, as easy as, um, a true, true working camera. Sure. I mean, and that's going to take some training, like, like to operate a full manual camera, like you're talking about, that's going to take some Right. And, and that, yeah. And, and, that, and that's, uh, before we get into that, the training is like, that's a good point to make because you can buy the $3,000 body camera and a $3,000 piece of glass to put on it. And if you run it in auto, it is no difference than running your iPhone. <laughs> like my iPhone was better. A lot, yeah. And it's cause, cause the iPhone is thinking for you yeah. and that chip is smart. The chip in the camera might not be as smart when you're running that in auto. They're designed to be run in manual excuse me, you're controlling everything there. Yeah. And it, it's a bit of a learning curve. It's, uh, always ongoing. Like, I don't feel like you ever get to the point of like, Oh yeah, I'm like, I know how to work everything in the camera. And it's not that about the settings. It's like, you always learn like, ah, I can adjust this and it gets a little bit more creative here Mm -hmm. or like this setting. And is there a lot of trial and error? There's a lot of just like shooting millions of photos and and that's the beauty of digital is you can have all the trial and error you want. It's just a memory card and you can delete photos. <laughs> Not like the old days with film <laughs> right, where like, right. I got my roll of film. I got 24 chances and then I have to pay for it to be developed before I can see what I did. Gosh, I don't know how. No, it's, it's a bit of a learning curve. Um, you're essentially controlling three things that control light, the amount of light hitting the sensor. It's uh, your aperture is the size of the hole. Okay. Your shutter speed is how long the shutter is open for. And then your ISO is the sensitivity to light. And those three things work in balance to expose your photo. And you learn to use what the three of them do. You learn to use each one individually. And then you learn how adjusting one affects the other to control how the light hits the sensor and capturing the image that you want it to. It's not necessarily, hey, I want to just capture this as it is. It's capturing the image I want to, whether I'm stopping motion or allowing motion to happen. If I want to silhouette something or have everything uh, lit well enough that I can see it. And then your depth of field, whether we've all seen those photos with the beautiful bokeh where the subjects in focus and the backgrounds blurry, whether I want that or I want everything in focus. And once you, once you learn those, then you can start to get creative with it. And that's like beauty of digital. It's like, yeah. I can adjust it up and down, see what happens. Don't need to do anything with those photos. Yeah. Adjust the next one up and down. And you, the learning curve is a bit quicker because of that, I think. Yeah. You think, so even, even we're talking DSLR camera, big boy camera, because those are a lot of different things. Like all those components you mentioned, like those are a lot of different things, right? And then they all have their own range of settings within those, right? Like the ISO Correct. has a range of... A bunch of different yep. settings. So that's a from from a hundred to 
I don't even remember what they go up to now. We'll just say 1280, a uh, hundred to 12,800. The higher you go, the more sensitive it is to light, but the more grainy your picture gets. Hmm. And then your shutter speed can be open unlimited on bulb feature or one four thousandth of a second. So you get a bunch of light, a lot of motion blur, or you have a fast shutter, no light, but you can stop motion. Wow. And then your f-stop is the size of the hole and it controls like what your depth of, of focus is. And also a smaller hole lets less light in. Yeah. Golly. And, and then throw dogs into this equation. You know, they're moving birds, like all that kind of stuff. You know, talking about upland hunting, that, that, that probably throws another complexity level in, right? Because say you're tr- trying to get your dog, you know, running through the field or, you know, a, a bird flushing. Like that, that has to be really tough to capture on camera, right? For- and it's going to depend on the person. Like for me, I don't really think anymore about what my camera settings are just hmm. because I've been shooting, shoot, I've been shooting a DSLR since I was like 18 or 19 years old. Okay. So it's been all oh, 15 years. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I don't really, I don't really think about settings anymore. Yeah. So I, it's kind of second nature. I'm just what looking at how I'm framing things, sure. making sure that what I want is in focus. Uh, for a newbie, that's going to be the hardest thing. I'm trying to watch my dog. I'm trying to pay attention to birds. I'm trying to look at my camera and my light meter <laughs> to make sure, sure. What, what's going on with the camera. And for those people, it's like, you want to shoot dogs? Go along without a gun. Mm. And you're, you're the camera just, guy. And just focus on that. Just Just practice shooting. Yeah, just practice shooting the dogs, practice shooting the hunters until you figure it out. Or just practice in all these other areas of your life that you do sure. until you feel like you're comfortable enough to take it along with you on your own hunt. Yeah. Oh, man. And I love training, that. training days would be perfect for that. Yeah. Okay, like we went and planted birds for your dogs. I'm going to take the camera out while you work your dogs and see what I can capture sure. and know that 99% of it's going to be garbage, but at least this isn't a training day and not a memory that I'm trying to save of a hunt that I drove six hours to go on. Right. Uh, then, all right, so we go to the other side then as far as editing goes. Like how much, again, kind of a two-part question. With your photos that you're taking, again, you've been doing this a long time, how much editing are you doing to your photos that you take? Like how much time are you spending? How much do you have to do even? Oh, a couple minutes per photo. It's it's super, super quick. If, and this is if you shoot it correctly. If sure. if you mess up and something's overexposed or under underexposed, it takes a little bit more work. But if you shoot it correctly, it's a couple minutes. I'm typically making sure my white balance looks right, making sure because the photo the cameras aren't quite as sharp as film used to be so you still have to sharpen things up a little bit and again and that's to your notes. eye right that's there's no manual to say it needs to be in here that's that's Correct. just to what you think Correct. looks good yeah to, to what looks good to you okay. um and the white balance meter like they they keep getting better and better where it's taking less and less adjustment through the years whereas probably one day you're not going to have to make any adjustments with sharpness and with white balance sure. uh explain white balance real quick every light has a different temperature like I'm sure you've seen it with light bulbs at the store. Sure. You have white light, yep. you have yellow light, you, you have sunlight, you have sun coming through clouds. It all changes the temperature. And your camera tries to, if you're running on automatic automatic white balance, it tries to guess what the best temperature is okay. for the colors in the picture to look natural. Okay. It doesn't always get it right. Mm. Like if you're getting filtered sun, sometimes things will look too blue, sometimes things will look too yellow. Okay. And the beauty of Lightroom is... If you shoot in raw, I can go adjust my temperature post-op, 
okay. uh, in my digital darkroom and make sure that my colors all look natural. Okay. And then depending on, on the photo, if I want to get a little artistic with it, sometimes I'm bumping such saturation of certain colors. Yeah. Like you shoot a pheasant. Like I want to see that red ring around the eye. I might turn that red up okay, a little okay. bit like to, just to like bring I it want out that a little to more. really, really pop. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes like, um, I do this with, I have a black dog. Rufus is, is he's technically liver, but he sure looks black sure. when we're outside. <laughs> I have a black dog when we're running around in the yellow grass, yeah. uh, to expose him correctly. Sometimes the grass looks super, super orange. Oh, and I have to just take a little bit of orange saturation out. So the grass looks natural and he looks natural. And of course this is always to your eye, sure. but I'm trying to show people how I saw it in real life. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I want the grass to look like I saw it. I want the dog to look yeah. like I saw it. And just make sure all those colors look look normal and correct. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so that's... What, what is... Um, what, well, again, question as far as editing like software tools, again, for your basic person out there, are there some good resources out there that are some good just I basic have, software? I haven't really paid attention to what free softwares are out there and what other softwares are out there in a long time because I have all the Adobe stuff, okay. uh, Adobe Premiere for video editing and then Photoshop and Lightroom. Um, you can't really beat Lightroom. I don't know if there's anything else comparable to it. Okay. Um, definitely not free, but it is, it's such a powerhouse now and it's, it's so quick and easy yeah. with the photos. Um, cool thing with that is that it's cloud-based so I can also have it on my phone. Oh, nice. And it's cool to be able to get home, put my SD card on the computer, edit all my photos here, and then if someone wants me to text them a photo real quick, I can just get on, it's on the your app phone. on my phone oh, nice. and export it to my camera roll, and I have it right there to text. Oh, that's like, sweet. It's a smaller file. It's compressed. Yeah. It's not like this is going to go in a magazine, sure. but it's no longer, oh, let me email myself this sure. or figure out a way to like <laughs> Do the whole train get to, this. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, I like that about Lightroom, but it's it's a tough one to beat. Yeah, and let's say someone um, let's say someone's kind of ready to take that next step to a, a DSLR camera, you know, not just their iPhone anymore. Like, do you have a good recommendation on like a good starter camera lens set that someone should look so, at? So. Yeah, before we dive into that, there's DSLR cameras and then there's mirrorless cameras. Okay. They both operate essentially the same way. Mirrorless has a digital shutter versus the actual mirror flapping up and down. Oh, okay. If you have any aspirations to go into the video route, get a mirrorless camera. Uh, okay. They're way more geared towards the video side of things. And they could do both, photos um, and video. That, yep, they can do both, photos and video. The, a lot of the DSLRs can do video, but they're not quite geared as that geared towards that as the mirrorless cameras. Okay. Um, personally, if you're getting this to carry with you on hunts and go out in nature, the mirrorless cameras are always smaller and lighter. Okay. So that's a good selling point Just less, there. Less um, internal parts and weight and stuff or... Yeah, because you don't have to have that mirror flapping up and down. Okay. It allows it to be a little bit more compact and smaller. Um, I use, and Outback Outdoors uses, all the Sony products just because they seem to be top tier in video. Okay. So if we're going to have all this stuff for video, that's what we're using for photos also. Okay. I, I like, I shouldn't say I like because I use both. I have a Sony APS-C sensor versus a Sony full-frame sensor. Okay. And that's the size of the sensor in the camera. Full-frames take a larger format photo, gather a little bit more light. It's also a much bigger file size. Okay. 
The APS-C sensors, I think it's 1.6% smaller, so not hugely smaller, sure. just a little bit, but it allows for a smaller camera body as well. Okay. So that's another one. If I'm going to pack this around, just those little bit of weight savings there. And in all my use of it, I haven't noticed a huge difference in video or photo quality between the full frame and the APS-C sensor. Okay. I know the people that get these cameras and test them like to their extent for nighttime photography, that full frame, it makes a huge difference when they're capturing the Milky Way or, okay. or stars and, and, and that sort of stuff. Okay. Wow. But um, you, you can't really go wrong with any of the three big ones, okay. Canon, Nikon, or Sony. Okay. Um, I, like I said, we use all Sony stuff and it's nice because the lenses are only able to go on that camera body brand so like i can't put canons on everything sure i can't put nikons on everything but if all you and all your friends have sony stuff you can all share your sony lenses oh, between nice. you guys okay okay and, and lenses is that a whole nother discussion or I, I've, heard, I've heard people reference before like spend your money on the lens even over yes. the camera is that true yeah, nowadays the camera bodies are all decent enough that you can't really go wrong with it. You get more bells and whistles as you go up, um, but you can't beat good glass. Mm. Cheap glass, you're going to see, uh, just like binoculars, you're going to see optically it's just not there. So I'd definitely spend more money on on getting good glass if you're trying to decide between the two. And it's, it's always one of those things, buy once, cry once. Don't mm. be like, well, I'll get this and then I'll get this one later. Mm. Just wait, use your iPhone save the money and get the one that you truly want the first time because then you'll have that forever like i have my old nikon sitting here on the desk next to me that i got 12 years ago and i was using that up until a couple years ago oh wow yeah retire an 11 year old camera back then and no one could tell based on the photos that i was putting wow that's camera's 11 years old that's crazy yeah and know how to use it you have good glass it'll it'll be there but the quality will be there okay Last photography question I, I had just popped into my head. So someone using their iPhone, um, are there any, as far as like settings or tips they should be aware of that they can change their camera on their iPhone that would help outdoor photography or anything like that? I haven't messed with it too much because I'm typically always carrying around a bigger camera. Um, I do know if you have Lightroom, you can turn it the camera to full manual and that gives you some flexibility there. Okay. Um, but like the, the biggest, the, like the, really the only thing I use on my iPhone when I'm making adjustments is, and I'm sure everyone knows about this is that you can, once you click on your subject, you can overexpose or underexpose. Oh yeah. Like the little dial Just, yeah, you drag next that to the thing. box, right? Yeah. Yep, yep. To, to brighten or, or, or darken the photo. Sure. Um, I typically will always shoot a little bit darker with the iPhone and then with the, the bigger cameras as well, because the way camera technology works, it's easier to recover shadows than it is to recover highlights. Oh, interesting. So if you do have to make any adjustments, it's easier to get the dark parts back than the white parts back. Oh, interesting. It's like if, if you blow something out, that's what you call when you overexpose yeah. something. If you blow something out, that information is just gone. Yeah. No matter what trickery you do on the computer, you can't get it back 
Um, if you shoot something like in true black, black, that information's gone also, yep. but typically it's just really dark shadows and the information's actually there, even though you can't see it on the screen. Sure. So as you start to edit stuff and open up those shadows, you usually can get a little bit more back. So if, if you're not sure, shoot it slightly dark Okay. and then you might save yourself in the digital dark room. Heck yeah, man. A little pro tip right there. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you know much about like the so like for video on the iPhones like the frames per second because there's like what 30 mm-hmm. is it 60 there's, and 120 there's I yeah there's, there should be 24 30 60 and 120 okay okay so so that's that's all on the video side of things the human eye the way we see motion like if you were to just put your arm at arm's length and wave your hand back and forth that motion blur that you see on your fingers that's about 24 frames per second so when you shoot video in a cinematic way it's always captured at 24 frames per second okay now the definition is right there frames per second 60 is more information 120s even more information so you that would, allows you, wouldn't you see to as have much slow blur motion then? okay if you play back 60 or 120 at 24 frames per second, it looks choppy because you lose that blur. Oh. But if you play 120 frames per second back at 20% of its speed, that correlates with 24 frames per second, and that's that buttery, smooth, slow motion that you see. Okay, wow. So that gets into what do we want to capture again? If we have a planted bird, dogs on point, yeah, we might set the camera for 120 frames per second because when that bird flushes, you're going to get those nice wing beats coming up, getting in the air. You might even get the the wad from the shotgun and the sure. pellets flying through the air because it's so slow and it just looks buttery smooth and all that comes together. But then before we go back to talking to you, we'll switch it back to 24 frames per second. So when we're playing that, it looks normal and natural. Yeah. Now, to the average person just watching this on YouTube or on an iPhone, they honestly probably wouldn't tell the difference if something's <laughs> out of whack in frames per second. But anyone that runs a camera or if you're trying to like make this look super cinematic yeah. and make like a, a film that you're going to show people – to like a, um, I shouldn't say trained eye, but to someone's sure. eye who's, that's who's like in that. really watching yeah. this. Yeah, you're going to notice that like, hey, this this motion doesn't look right to me. Something's off. Yeah. It's like, like cool things with that. I was like, I don't know if you saw the new Mad Max with Tom Hardy. I did not, no. So uh, they shot a lot of those action scenes. I think they shot it in 60 frames per second, but then played it at 24. But instead of letting the computer like buffer it out, they just deleted frames. And that's how they got that like herky jerky chaotic look to it. Oh, interesting. And that was done intentionally to make it like very like chaotic and awkward. Yeah, that was was the intentional feel. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's crazy. So yeah, that's that's what all that means in the in the video part on your iPhone. I love how you can just like whip out, <laughs> like oh the twenty and the twenty percent. <laughs> like oh my god, <laughs> lots of, lots of editing. Oh, I bet I can only imagine the time you spent editing and playing with settings and all that good stuff. Oh yeah, it's it's, it's crazy how much you can sit in front of a computer screen messing with that yeah. stuff. Oh my gosh. Well, dude, um, this has been a ton of fun. I uh, got a couple more things for you as we wrap this uh, this conversation up. Um, one of the things I like to end with is, um, again, taking your experience, what you've learned with hunting and even photography. Um, it's kind of an open-ended question, but what's what's a piece of advice you would give uh, a, new, a new hunter out there? Uh, maybe someone um, just started this year. Maybe they want to start this coming season. Uh, what's a piece of advice you would give them? 
just go. I feel like too many people get caught up in, oh, I need this gear. I need to acquire this. I need X before I can go. Mm. It's just go have the trips, go have the experiences, and you'll slowly start to accumulate stuff. Um, I th- this became more to my attention when I used to work at Kafaru. Uh, So many people were calling to get outfitted with backpacks and asking questions about what clothes and what gear and bows and all the stuff that they should buy. And to better answer them, we'd be like, well, where do you hunt? How long have you been going? What other gear do you have? And they're like, oh, I'm just starting. I haven't gone Mm. yet. And it's like they just have this whole list of stuff that they feel like they need before they can even try something. It's like, just go. When when I was a kid, like we didn't have a lot of money or – thrift store boots and we're wearing old hand-me-down camouflage and it's like just going and even though it might not be the most comfortable or most cutting edge gear i was still out there having these experiences and learning and through the years you get more pieces of gear and you get the stuff that you need or the stuff maybe you just want but you can't go back and rewind all that time and get the experiences so it's like just just go if you have the time just go even if you you don't think you have all the pieces you need totally oh, i love that man i think we we i'm guilty of it too i mean when i was starting out you get in that mindset of thinking oh if i had that thing then i can go do this or whatever it might be and i think um that's a great piece of advice right there just get out there yeah just as much as you can yeah <laughs> as much as you freaking can love it um all right rapid fire questions here and we'll uh, we'll wrap this thing up so just a uh, couple questions and just give me your uh your off the cuff answer and we'll uh we'll go from there oh, definitely all right man first one uh for you what came first the dog the gun or the bird we had a pet dog growing up that was not associated with hunting. So like excluding him from this question, uh, started hunting first. Okay. Okay. So that's a hunt, hunting and gun all came together and yeah. then I found then, birds later in life. Then the dog. Okay. And then I found birds and then I found a dog. <laughs> <laughs> like in that order. There you go. <laughs> um, all right. For you, what gun are you carrying into the field and why? I have an old 870 pump and uh, in 20 gauge and then an old Benelli Nova in 12 gauge. Okay. And I've had those basically since I could buy firearms myself. And I use them because I don't want to spend money on a new gun. I'd rather spend money on gas to go on trips. There you go. Preach it, man. <laughs> um, favorite breed of dog besides the ones you own? I... Uh, I torn between poodle pointers and boykin spaniels okay i keep seeing all the pictures of them and i was like if i'm gonna get another dog they look like they'd be fun to have yeah man i'm not not sure what i would pick they both look like cool dogs yeah you you got a thing for the brown dogs it sounds like yeah i I tend (laughs) to like the the darker ones yeah like uh my uh my english pointer gsp mix is white and she is always filthy (laughs) i guess it's maybe because the dark ones you can't tell yeah right right. (laughs) that's true my my Brittany, it's like you and Rufus yeah. are in the same field, yeah. and one of you looks dirty. Yeah, and one of you looks clean. Yeah, my Britneys are all yeah. filthy right now. I don't think I've had a bath in gosh, I don't know how long. It's been, it's uh, it got so muddy yesterday. I had to get oh. home and hose them both oh, off immediately. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's bad. It's nasty right now. We get the snow starting to turn brown around us. Yeah, it's yep, that's how it was over out east. Reminding me of Chicago right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like. It snows in December and then it stays around till March and it's just black by that time. 
Yeah, it just nasty. gets gross. It's nasty. Um, in, in the spirit of gear, I know gear is not everything, but what is, what's one thing you would never hunt without? And I'm going to start putting rules to this question. So you can't say your gun. You can't say like your essentials, like your boots, like something like, a, yeah. like something that you found or acquired over the years that, that you say, you know what, that's, I'm not going to leave, leave my house without it. Uh, I never go hunting or camping or any kind of wood stuff without baby wipes. <laughs> they are, they are so versatile for everything. Dude. Getting a little bit too sweaty. You can wipe up, got to clean your hands so you can eat something. You wipe so up. So versatile. It's just, yeah. I, dude, I, no, I'm so glad I, you said it. I, so I do that as well. I always have baby wipes with me and it's a game changer. I, I just, you probably have them all over because the yeah. kids, oh, yeah. but I just buy like the big old stack and I divide it up into Ziploc bags and they just live in all my yeah. different backpacks. Yep, yep. So I never have to think about adding it. It's just always there for me to grab. Yep. And it's, it's crazy. The amount of people are like, oh, I'm dirty. I'm like, hang on. I got a baby wipe. And you just whip it out of your backpack. Corey's, every, Corey's got the hookup. <laughs> and everyone always appreciates it. I was like, just, yeah, put them in every backpack yep. and never leave home without them. They are brilliant. They are a game changer. <laughs> Someone try to top that because that's I don't know if <laughs> I don't know if you can top baby wipes. That's that's a game changer. <laughs> um, all right, favorite bird to hunt and why? I haven't got to hunt too many birds yet, um, so I've been having the most fun uh, going after blue grouse. Okay, uh, just because I love the habitat that they live in, even though it's because of my big game hunting, yeah. I don't get to get after them that often. It's usually only once or twice a year between my big game hunts that I can get out with my dog, but I sure have a blast going after them because I love being in the high country. That's awesome. Um, but I really would like to get after uh, Hungarian partridge and shucker. Just same thing. I love the yeah. habitat that they live in. Yeah. And it seems like the dogs would have a blast with these big covey birds. Oh, that'd be so fun. They're, yeah. And, I, I have not hunted chucker, but partridge are, Hungarian partridge are awesome. I definitely got to start getting to some other states and getting after some of these other species. Yeah. That's a blast, man. That's a blast. Um, all right. A couple more here. Um, your go-to snack on a hunting trip. Definitely pack in breakfast burritos every time I go on any kind of trip. Just the, the frozen ones and microwave it and wrap it in foil and shove it in the backpack. And there you go. They keep for a while. They yeah. do keep for a while. It's so not really a snack. It's it's not it's not really a snack. It's more of a meal. Yeah, but I always totally. have a burrito in my pack. Probably like half of it now, <laughs> half of it later, kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I was gonna. Yeah, you can eat them. You know, semi warm, warm doesn't really matter what the yeah. temperature is. Always leave them on the windshield while you're hiking around. Oh and yeah. Come back and the Warmed sun keeps them warm. They keep put them on the engine. <laughs> you got you got options. Yeah. Um. Are you are you a Santiago's fan? You go to Santiago's for I, the burritos? Uh, I love them. It's not usually what I take with me, okay. but yeah, yeah, I love them. They, half and half. They have some good stuff. Perfect amount of spice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> love that place. Um, all right. Last one. Beverage of choice after a hunt. Oh, it's either a, a Tapa Chico or a Liquid Death, just okay. whichever one I bought a case of last. <laughs> Whatever's it's, convenient. Like, I, I, I just, ever since I discovered carbonated water, it's just been a yeah. thing for me. Tapa Chico's good, man. Tapachico's, yeah. that's, that's pretty solid. It, the, the glass isn't always convenient, which is why I have the, the liquid death cans. Okay. But yeah, nice, cold, bubbly water after you've been hiking around all day is refreshing. That, I, I would agree. I would agree. I, I, might, I might reach for like a Mountain Dew, but... <laughs> low, <laughs> I'm, I'm not real big on, more real sugar. Big on the sodas. Yeah, a little more yeah. sugar. <laughs> Just a little bit. 
<laughs> oh man, so much fun. Um, Corey, this has been a blast. Thanks for uh, thanks for sitting down, talking through uh, your experiences with with dogs and training, and uh, some of your hunting journey, and as well as photography. I think that was that was pretty cool for you to uh, share that with us. So thank you. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate you having me on. It's been fun. Yeah, man. Um, so Instagram, Corey Arola. Um, any other ways to connect with you? Outlets, website, anything like that? Yeah, my my personal Instagram is Corey Arola, just my first and last name. My dog training one is is I think it's just both ends of the leash. Not sure if it's both end of the leash dog training. Okay. But if you can find me on my personal one, you can definitely find the dog training one. <laughs> Perfect. And then of course, out back outdoors is. Uh, it's not mine. It's it's Trevin's, but I work with him. Sure. That's where you'll find more of the the bigger content and the bigger hunts that we go on. Yeah. And I think he's on fourteen seasons now of of that. So there's very, a lot of content oh, there. Very cool. You want to check out the the video and and editing stuff that I do with him. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, Corey, thank you so much again, man. Uh, I'm sure we'll be uh, crossing paths here soon, and we'll have to uh, get these dogs out here and uh, get them on some more birds here soon. Yeah, get these pups up to speed yeah. before uh, next fall. Exactly, man. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> all right, brother. Thanks again for your time, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, all right? Sounds like a plan. Thanks. Have a good one. You too. All right, that's a wrap of episode 72. Corey, thank you so much, man. That was a blast. Um, I, I didn't even expect um, for us to go as much in-depth into the dog behavior um, training, and that was just really fascinating. So thanks for uh, thanks for sharing your knowledge and your passion with photography. And uh, I think and I hope everyone can take away maybe a nugget or two of uh, ways they can up their photo game uh, out in the field you know, with their bird dogs, training, whatever it might be. So again, thank you, brother. Really appreciate it. Hey guys, don't forget to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you haven't already. Uh, it would mean a ton to me. Um, just head over there, uh, leave a star rating and a written review. Would really, really appreciate it uh, if you haven't done that. So uh, head over there. It takes about 30 seconds or a minute. So um, other than that, hope everyone's doing great. Uh, everyone's wrapping up their season well. And we got a little bit more time here with uh, Desert Quail, Chucker, all that good stuff. So if you're out there, make sure to tag the Upland Rookie Podcast in uh, your photos, your posts. would love to reshare some of those and just experience what you are seeing out in the field. Um, yeah, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. We got a ton of good guests lined up over the next couple months. I'm really, really excited to share uh, some of these with you. So make sure you're subscribed. You're getting all the latest episodes uh, of the podcast and share it with a friend. Share it with a family member, aunt, uncle, niece, nephew, brother, friend, coworker. I don't know. Share it with someone, someone who, who doesn't know about it yet um, that could maybe gain something from the show. Anyways, until next time, go put some miles on those boots and follow your favorite bird dog. Take care.